well, B, that's a, a very poignant song for a very poignant occasion. Obviously, valet to Sinead O'Connor, who passed away overnight. And I think everyone can read between the lines as to probably what and how and things. Um, I think at the end of the day, she's had a bit of a troubled existence over most of her career. And um, I think she lost her son maybe this time a year ago and has echoes of, uh, you know, people that we talk about quite regularly on this podcast, doesn't it, B? And, you know, family and fellow family members, you know, leaving this uh, lovely planet. Very sad scenario, very sad. Um, so our hearts go out to um, her family and friends and to her fans. And we do know that a lot of her fans and in excess fans of fan the podcast through the post that we put out overnight. Um, I just want to reference the picture of Michael with Sinead, lovely times, and the actual comment that Michael made about protecting um, Sinead when she was a very young girl and it was back in 1987 um, I found something from MM do you remember our famous MM Hayden yeah okay and he says it was um, in 1987 back in the UK um, leg of the in excess kick tour took place during November that the band was in Prague filming the three uh, music videos that we know, which is Terrace Apart, New Sensation and Guns in the Sky. And then they went on to lots of acts around, um, sorry, lots of gigs around England with Sinead. So if you went to any of these gigs, it'd be great to hear from you. So there was December the 2nd, Newcastle City Hall, 3rd of December, Edinburgh Playhouse, 4th of December, um, Liverpool Royal Court, 5th, um, Bristol Colson um, Hall, the 6th, they had a day off, 7th, Southampton, the Mayflower, 8th, Nottingham Royal Centre, um, and day off on the 9th, 10th, Manchester Apollo, 11th, Sheffield City Hall, never day off, and then 13th and the 14th at the Hammersmith Hodian. And I do know that, that there's a lot of people out there that went to that gig and have actually referenced it. A one guy called John Hawkins, the first time I ever heard or saw Sinead was when she supported In Excess in Bristol. We arrive late and she was already on stage. There she was, bald-headed in a long black coat, filled the room with her almighty, magnificent voice. She was extraordinary and blew me away, utterly magnificent. What made it even more special was that Michael Hutchins was sitting farther along in a row watching her performance. Both beautiful, passionate souls who experienced so much sadness in their lives, yet brought the world so much beauty joy and pleasure. Good night and God bless Sinead. Oh, well done. Look, uh, I think, you know, Sinead, a lot of people associated with, you know, the Prince song that she covered and things and, you know, it's still a fantastic song and we played it at the start of this episode. But um, also too, she had an album out before there called The Lion and the Cobra that actually got a Grammy nomination and hence uh, led to her being selected to go on the uh, the kick tour within excess. And, you know, a lot of lives, you know, cross paths in the music industry. And, you know, as I said, it's always just sad that, you know, people, you know, don't quite make it to their natural life conclusion. So um, valet to you, as the thoughts for everybody there and all the fans out there. And if you do, as I said, feel slightly down and out, please seek uh, attention from those around who love you or those who professionally can help you. Okay, Hayden, now let's get on with the show.
Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 156B. We got that number right this week. Uh, this is the podcast that aims to dive deep in all things greater with this legendary Australian band. There's six wonderful musicians who traversed the world, gave us lots of joy. We've got to get them to the Rock Hall of Fame, B, and we've got to make sure that our fans uh, and the band's fans and our patrons and all the community hustle along as I do another unique opener. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I never know when you're going to finish that. I am good, thank you. I am back from my uh, time up in Brisbane. Had a great time with the girls. Hello to Mandy and Lisa. And um, we're going to make this really nice and short and sweet, aren't we? Well, less of us and more of our guests today, but it is a very special week, B, because uh, this is the week that, uh, as the time of recording, the, the lovely Tiger Lily was born and it's her birthday. So I believe she's 27, I think, B. Does that sound right to you? Wow. 27. Yeah. 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 Yes, I think it does. Yes. 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 Um, lovely post went out there. It's gone, that's gone viral, actually, as well. Yep. So um, beautiful photo of her. She does look like Michael and she's got a hint of... Paula's mum, actually. Right. She's got Paula's <laughs> mum's nose. Right. Yeah. Could you, where's that nose come from? It's Paula's <laughs> mum's nose. And so, yeah, beautiful, beautiful lady she's turned into. I like the fact there's this sort of, uh, I guess, dearly departed Paula and, and Michael. There's this little legacy that is uh, half Aussie colonial thing and then you know, a little half, you know, British aristocracy slash part <laughs> of Sir Bob. Well, she's very be behind, be, behind, behind <laughs> Bohemian. She's <laughs> very bohemian, though, isn't she? I thought she? you were going to call her behemoth. Uh, behemoth, the way you're pronouncing sorry. That. <laughs> yeah, she's she's very um, down to earth, and yeah, yeah, I love that she doesn't wear her makeup and stuff. But anyway, happy yes. birthday to Tiger. Now, but very importantly, what's come across your desk this week? Because uh, you've been obviously on tour with the Dane Change Boys up in Brisbane. Uh -huh. Hello to uh, is it Miss Macintosh? Yes, it is Lisa yes. Mac and her wife yes. um, Mandy. Yep. Great yep. hosts had such a great time and met lots of lots of people. We uh, we actually put on our devil horns and yes. we got some flyers so so quickly. I've I saw that. Right. I thought Within that an hour, I'm like, print. I'm going to do yeah. this. I'm going to do it. Quick to print. Quick to issue. What were the flyers there? Were they promoting the podcast or promoting the event or a bit yeah, of both? No, in promoting us, sweetheart. I went up and I did yep. a lot of promotions. I, I gave out 150 and I think I spoke to a, over 150 people. My voice was going before even the show started. And so I want to say hello to all those people because they were so enthusiastic and it was just a, a big ball of, of passion inside um, that theatre. Sorry, inside that event, it was like because I looked like a promoter. Um, people were asking me for tickets to get in, and I was like, oh. you know, no. And yeah. it was sold out. It was over eight hundred people. Were you on the door, were you? I was on the door. Were you on the door? I was were everywhere. Like, I was were everywhere. You like, <laughs> what's the expression of right? The door bitch. You know, door were you, you like? Were they trying to get hustle their way in, and you were the gatekeeper? <laughs> yeah, sort of it like that. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, everyone kept saying, you look like Deborah Harry. I'm like, okay, I'll take that. Well, That's I, very nice. I heard a people for it. What is obviously, for those who don't know, Don't Change the NXS cover band that B was at the other day. Yeah. It's a pretty good number, you know, for a gig. It seems like from the, the photos and some of the, the posts that obviously it was a, a rocking affair. It, 
was amazing. And I love that because um, I always spend some time with them afterwards. And Blair says, we always up our game when we know you're in the house, B. So that was lovely. I was wearing my elegantly wasted T-shirt and they hadn't got it on their set list. So they popped it into the set list um, wow. uh, for their second half. That's very timely. It was just it wonderful. Yeah, it's just great. And like I said, people were like bashing, trying to get in to the venue. It was awesome. Any other little song nuggets that they played that were different from other times or was it a pretty regimented list? He actually started um, with that Sergeant Slick, you know, they'll just keep walking. They pumped that out first of all okay. and then they got went into that as well. Um, what else they were playing? They, what, wishy-washy, you would have liked that one. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah, there was some really, really cool ones. Um, jumping, they played jumping for me. Wow. Uh, I was jumping, yeah, yeah. Wow, that, yeah. that would have had you guys jumping around literally. I know, like I think we were the only ones jumping up and down because not many people know that one like no, looking right. around but yeah I yeah. want to say hello to everybody that's found the podcast from that that was fantastic Did you listen to last week's episode? I've listened to the interview. Yeah. Did you send me the file of the interview? Because I wasn't doing the uh, interview. You did that one with uh, Danielle. A big shout yeah. out to Danielle. Very, yeah. very capable co-host there. So, she's we both Watch better look out. out. You both better look out there. Yeah, but, uh, thank both. you, Danielle, from Pensacola, coming on in my absence at the time, but I haven't listened to all the other stuff around it. Is there something you wanted to share that I missed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know now that um, Bruce is listening. He's really enjoying our show, and he's very, um, he's he's very much wanting to help us get in, in access into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he's been um, speaking to lots of people, and it seems that we've been having lots more downloads for people in the industry. So thank you, oh. thank you to Bruce, and thank you for all your help. And he'll be sending us one of his books soon via Danielle, and um, I can't wait to um, read that. I, I did notice on Amazon it said it's sold out, but it isn't. I think that's just a little yeah. typo thing, yeah. So thankful for the guest. So, you know, hearing uh, the interview you did with Bruce and, and, and just, again, his affection to the band and just the relaxed way that they were able to integrate on set for that you know, a particular clip, which was quite a quick turnaround. I think they had about four days to make it and produce and whatever. Um, again, just shows sort of uh, the band's professionalism and also the type of people they work with. Because when I was doing the blurb and the write-up, I sort of um, I saw Bruce had a second name, was it uh, a middle name, etc. There or a double surname. So when I listened to the interview, I was just corroborating and cross-checking it. It was the same Bruce. And when he started talking about Elton John and different people, I'm like, oh, good, I'm still the right one. Because yeah, he's worked with Donna Summer. He's worked with lots of different artists over the time. Fantastic. And that, you've just reminded me of our other Bruce, Bruce Butler, that came on and spoke to us, um, Ollie's manager. And this week, I just found out that the um, Adelita Strike Michael um, EP, I think we call it an EP, yes. is now hit... Um, number one in the independent Australian ARIA chart. So congratulations to the team. Yes. That's fantastic. Debut, I think. Debuted at number one. Debuted Absolutely. straight into number one. That's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know where it is actually on the real charts with all the, you know, rappers. Speaking <laughs> about a future guest that will come on a future episode, I think Michael would love the fact that he's got a number one song finally in the independent charts. Oh, he would, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. So. 
we might cross that on, on our, that future episode. But um, Bean, this is uh, going to be a bit of a unique podcast for us today. We're probably going to go uh, bypass you know patrons and news and a whole bunch of stuff because we've got a bit of a feature interview today. And it is a bit of a special one where it's going to be a little bit less from us and, and a less traditional format. But we hope that's more than made up with the guests that we're about to have on in a moment because we were very, very pleased to secure the services of uh, Nui Takoa from the uh, Herald Sun. And this is a gentleman who, you know, headed up and created the, you know, the hit magazine Lift Out in the Herald Sun publication, which is the biggest selling uh, newspaper in Australia. He's a, a fantastic, you know, guy in terms of his community reach, you know, his passion. He's a great family man. He's He's been a, just a great writer and he's a great reviewer and he's always fair, but reasonable, but not sycophantic. He'll call it as he sees it, but he'll always come from a, a place of facts and and the experience. And I'm sure we'll get to sort of hear more about that. Just a quick backdrop for Newey. He was uh, very fortunate interviewed Michael Hutchins back in the early 90s, where Michael was in a pretty good place at the time. And he was uh, you know back here for uh, the clubs and pubs uni post-welcome. Um, but sadly, you know, Newey was also the last person that interviewed Michael before he passed. And Happened to be, you know, an interview that took place before Michael was flying back to Australia for that ill-fated last trip. We are really, really pleased that uh, New is going to come on today, and uh, we do know he's done a lot of lot of research for this upcoming episode to just share um, that interview and the context around it, and just you know what he sensed where Michael was at at that time. And um, like we always say with NXS Access All Areas, we're trying to bring you right back into you know, the time frame and the time capture when all these things went down and provide sort of an accuracy and an honesty and a fair portrait of where sort of Michael was at at that time. So we are very lucky to have uh, Newey on today, Dee. We are. And we should also reference the photograph that we've got on as our promotion as well. Do you want to yes. Do you want to tell the view? Oh, you go with that one. I'll, yeah? You go ahead. Okay. Uh, I've done my waffle, your turn. Okay. Yeah. So we have a lovely team that helps with research and and we've got the Laurie. The Lori, and we've got Laurie. And we she said, who is he? And Newey. And so she went out and she she Googled him and the first image that came up was of Newey with access all areas written on his face. Now, we, we see this yes. as a sign. We we found it quite funny and also... This predates us, doesn't it? Does it does predate <laughs> us from what, 2016, did you say? I think so, yeah. Mm. So, But uh, definitely timely, timely for the profile. So, no, Newey didn't, didn't go and paint his face <laughs> in his profile, albeit... <laughs> You know, that would have been a great sort of, uh, a, a great sort of, uh, you know, uh, story to tell. Yeah. Uh, in we the need future. to get but, Tim um, to do that now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Look, without further ado, I think it's time for Topic of the Week, and we're about to introduce our special feature interview today, Mr. Nui Takoa. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also, want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And now it's time for Topic of the Week. Well, we're actually very, very lucky today. We're joined by uh, a gentleman who I, if I have FOMO or jealousy about one person's life here in this great Steve Melbourne, it's this gentleman, uh, Nui Dakar, is joining us today, who's the, the leading sort of entertainment writer for the Herald Sun. Have I got that moniker right? Hello, team. Yes, that'll do. I'll wear that quite <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. 
There's no need for FOMO, mate. It's all smoke and fire. <laughs> I'm not wearing a tie. I will say, Newey, you're the most well-presented guest we've ever had, and here I am wearing a white T-shirt, feeling slightly pale in comparison. But we are very, very lucky to have you on today because, uh, look, not only through your achievements with the Herald Sun and through Hit Magazine at your inception in Melbourne, you've had the luxury, I guess, of attending, you know, a schedule of events in the last, you know, few months. I know the Chili Peppers and Lizzo and all the famous acts coming to Australia and movie openings. Um, uh, you must... You know, pinch yourself. You have a pretty cool life. Oh, yeah. It's worked, really. You know, uh, beyond, you know, the glamour and uh, the interviews and the access and the shows and everything like that, it's still work in the end. You know this. It's uh, it's it's going there to review. So, I, you know, I, I try to have as much fun as I can at these events, but you also know that in the back of your mind, you know, you're kind of thinking and calculating and reviewing and just trying to put it all together yes. and try to make sense of it. So, you know, you mentioned I went to, to Lizzo um, the other night. It's, ju- it's just that, you know, I'm there with my notebook, there with my notes, kind of trying to figure out what the set list is and, Try to interpret it and just, you know, make it as entertaining for the reader, you know, as, as being there. So, you know what they say, that it's not work if you're loving it and enjoying it. And, and, I, and I do enjoy my work. It's it's one of the best gigs in town, man. And I know there's a, you know, a balancing act between reporting and being a critic. Do you, do you have a, a charter that's given to you or they just say, you go there, you feel it, you interpret it, you know? Is it one of the two? Yeah, I think you have to be honest. I think you have to be honest about, you know, what you're going to and, and what it is and how it's rolling out. And I certainly wouldn't hold back if it's, you know, if, if it's not a good show. But I generally go out to have a good time. I really want to enjoy the show. I want to be, you know, surprised, not necessarily impressed, but I, I just, I want to be entertained. I want to be challenged. You know, uh, we often, you know, know in advance what these shows are going to be like because you can look at the set list. You can see YouTube clips and all that sort of thing, but nothing beats going to a gig and just being there, being in the moment, you know, soaking it up and just, and just, you know, uh, just enjoying it for what it is. I, you know, I always go out to have a good time. I always want to enjoy the show. So I'm not out there with, um, you know, with my knives and ready to do a batch of job on on anything. You know, I know they're there to entertain. I want to be entertained. So let's do it. It's a great attitude to have because I think, um, you know, not everybody goes to those events with that sort of open agenda. As a Melbourneian growing up here and obviously the Herald Sun being sort of one of our lifebloods, but also in the 90s there was a, a magazine that you had an involvement with called Hit Magazine, which back in the pre-internet days, which a lot of our younger listeners won't relate to, publications like Hit Magazine were the Bible for us as a youth. Um, tell us a bit about getting involved with that early in the uh, early 90s. Well, come with me, youngin, and let me <laughs> tell you a story about the print media and yes. back then and all that. Kid Magazine was started in 1994 or 95. Uh, until that point, uh, the Herald Sun did not have a dedicated music, uh, movies, and art section. Uh, there were bits and bobs. Uh, I certainly tried to get in there and uh, do little pieces. So Hit Magazine, before Hit Magazine, there were just, you know, tiny little stories, you know, often up the paper, you kind of had to pine. Yeah. I really wanted to bring something else uh, to the paper, uh, something a bit more substantial. So we started Hit Magazine as a music section. At the time, The Age, uh, our competitor, had a really strong section called EG. I don't know if EG is still going now, but the entertainment was the Bible. Um, And I really wanted to match that. I wanted to get the biggest acts. Uh, You know, we wanted to just be on top of everything in entertainment. And I think we we achieved that with Hit Magazine. You know, our very first cover story 
1994 was U2. Um, you two were coming out for, uh, I think it was Zeropa. Maybe it was a Zeropa tour for Octal Baby. They were our, our very first cover. So we, we aimed high and, and we got what we, um, got what we were after. I reckon November 93, that could have been the date because it was the only tour of you two I missed because I had uh, my, my uni exams. And right at the end of 93, early 94, sounds like a pretty accurate time. He yeah. magazine probably started around that time. Yeah. Uh, it was Zeropa and it was at the MCG. It was real busy that period because I remember you two were there and I think Madonna uh, yes. moved the following week with the girly show. Busy times, busy times. So how did you two meet? Because like I've been out of this loop. I've been thinking, who's this newie? Oh, look, I, I've, I've just sent uh, generally friendly text to Newey, like, I love his life. I like the fact he's doing this. I think we might have had a chili peppers difference of opinion on something. I feel like there's this Melbourne and open minded guy who engages with um, people who, you know, I guess engage with him in the social media space. That's really been the backdrop. But I've enjoyed listening to Newey. You were on, I think, with Eddie and Das uh, for a number of years doing the entertainment section. What's that, a radio show? Yeah. Yeah, it's Triple M, Triple M, it's ro- Triple M rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, someone called it the bourbon and coke of uh, football commentary in the ABC <laughs> with the uh, the red wine. But uh, no, well, the what newest, does that make us? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the spumanti of uh, podcasting. Color and milk, color and milk. But no, knew he would come on that. And, and look, again, it's just those entertainment updates of what's happening. You know, he had his finger on the pulse and, you know, uh, again, you know, without peeing in the pocket, I mean, you know, there were certain people here in Melbourne that uh, you would find your entertainment news out and that, that hip publication that would, you know, it sounds revolutionary sort of, well, it sounds passe now, but a, a, a booklet coming out of a Herald Sun, you know, tabloid 25, 30 years ago was pretty, pretty important because we had no social media and this is where you got your access to tours and movies and reviews and it was a genuine deep dive that helped probably the Herald Sun starts surpassing the age, I guess, its competitor. I agree, but I uh, also rate EG. I, mean, I think EG was always strong, always loved the green side, so there was always that, you know, that friendly rivalry. I knew everybody at EG. We all got along. We're all there for the same purpose. We just wanted to vibe on music, man. We just wanted to vibe on the movies and, you know, promote it and just be as positive, you know, as we could. The good thing about those days, those days, <laughs> was you know, street press. I really liked street press back then too. I was an avid reader of Impress. I was an avid reader of Beat Magazine. And that was so good, man. I actually poached a couple of writers from Beat. I took Cameron Adams out of Beat and brought him across. Okay. We love Cameron. Cameron Adams. We love Cameron Adams. Much love, Cameron, over at Old Stereo now. Poor guy. <laughs> I used to use Andrew Mast, who was a great club rider at Impress. I used to use him. Mikey Cagle, who was from Impress and Beat. Uh, Cameron brought him across. So we were always keeping an eye out on who was, you know, writing good things in those street parts. It's such a good training ground for journalists. Christy Eliza was another one. Michael Dwyer was another one. And Michael, man, he's like a heavy hitter over the age now, my favourite music writer. Um, just an incredible thing. So we all kind of come through the same stream and we all end up working together. We all know each other. And I just think the energy is just about doing good work. I think it was Neil Gillett that used to review over at the age, the movie guy. Was it Gillett? Yeah, he did. Uh, I remember, I think well, Tony right? Martin, the DJ, might have referred to him as the guy who hates movies. Um, <laughs> oh, right, right. Link, 
Lee Patchell's over at the he age was great. He's oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, Lee done it for everyone, man. We we, we steal. Yes. We steal. Yes. You yes, know the talent. You know what you want in your gang by the sounds of it. Yeah. You really get into it and immerse yourself into your career by the sounds of it. Does your wife see you much? <laughs> She does, you know, and we went to, well, I went over to Illuminate Festival in Adelaide last week and I took my family uh, with me. I, I like, I just like experiences and I just, you know, like being, I don't like jumping into things. I really want to converse, but I just really want to soak it up, man. I want the experience. I just want to learn from stuff. I want to, you know, grow from things. This festival, uh, as part of Illuminate, they have it exclusively. It's a it's a festival called Unsound, and it's from Krakow. It's from Poland. Well, yeah, Poland. Yeah, yeah, yeah Krakow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then that Eastern and they just have some challenging things, some challenging acts, and I just go over there to soak it up. And I, yeah, I took my family. I said, "Come on, let's go and do this. Come and see it." Took my son. Done sound, yeah, checked out a few things that went from, you know, kind of ambient to hardcore jungle to this new genre called um, footwork, which is kind of like, you know, speedy kind of techno jungle sort of thing. So it was super interesting, man. And I try to involve my family wherever I can. If I'm going to Dark Mofo or, you know, Motifoma or Vivid, then I'm always, always an open invite to them. You know, come and come and experience some of the great things that I am. You know, I'd love to share it. The photos last week were sensational that you um, <laughs> that shared um, at Illuminate, uh, which uh, I think you know, Melbourne and Adelaide probably are the two more artistically sort of cultural cities in the country for these type of events, I guess, aren't they? You know? We're really good for festivals. I'm really happy that Rising is, you know, the Rising Festival, which is like our answer to Dark Mofo and Vivid and Illuminate, you know, was just taking some some small steps to, to get an identity and really kind of forge something, you know, substantial for Melbourne. Yeah. Well, uh, we would like to pick your brains a little bit. As you probably know, uh, we are an In Excess podcast. We have had Cameron Adams on a couple of times who, who's been great uh, with his time. But thankfully uh, and historically, you have some history dating all the way back to, I guess, uh, the early 90s around the Welcome to Wherever You Are tour where uh, you had the chance to interview Michael. And then, look, later on and, and somewhat, you know, um, you know, sadly was probably the last interview that Michael did here in Australian waters as he was probably rushing from LA to Australia before getting on a plane. But if we go back to the more happier one, I think the Welcome to Wherever You Are tour where they did the clubs and unis and things, I, I was fortunate enough to be at those. Tell us a bit about meeting Michael and, and uh, where and what and how and all that interview came about. Well, that's my favourite tour. That's my favourite show of theirs. So, so you were there at the Palace? I saw the three at the Palace, then the uh, Melbourne Uni, then at Caulfield Chisholm or whatever, uh, Monash, I think. That was an amazing yeah. show. It was so casual. The Michael just felt so relaxed in that one. You remember yes. the intro, you know, hey, welcome to wherever you are, and then they just kicked off. And that's such a big record too. It's like Kevin Slant, communication, not enough time. It's a super, yeah. super um, delightful period for me for NXS Music. I really love that album. Fell in love with them all over again with that tour. I love being down at the Palace uh, and seeing that show. That interview came about because they were just in town to promote the tour. So it was simple as that. Michael was available. We did the interview at the Coma Hotel. He was staying down there. A very pleasant host. As soon as I got in there, offered me tea, made a cup of tea, was really friendly and just really super aware of who he was. I think he was going out with Helena Christensen at that time because people were bugging them for photos down on the street on Chapel Street. 
And yeah. he said, I've got a favorite trick uh, when people, you know, off, you know, uh, want to get a photo with me. I get Helena to take the photo and chop off my head and theirs. So, <laughs> well, this was, this was when you had to get your films developed. So you really sure. you didn't know, you didn't know, it's all, you didn't know yeah. what you had until you got it back from the chemist. Oh, my God, no. that's scenarious. That I was his that. favorite trick. He said, oh, yeah, great trick. please shoot us from the neck down. And he used to do it whenever they wanted a photo with Helena. But he was really nice, man. He was so friendly. There were no constraints on the interview. I could ask about Kylie because they'd, they'd dated and obviously split. I could ask about Helena, which is when he, you know, shared that information uh, about the photography. He wanted to speak a lot about the record because he was super proud of that album and just, um, you know, really hanging to play those shows. I didn't realise they did three shows at the Palace. I thought it was one or two. No, no, they they did the Palace. Uh, they then, I reckon it was three and three nights. They did the Melbourne Uni the next night. Oh, wow. Uh, or it might have been two nights later, then they finished at Monash. Uh, they did these two uni shows. Right. And, um, I mean, the, the Palace one really is probably my favourite because it was, you know, three, four years between, or maybe a couple of years prior to seeing them and the new album, they're playing stuff off an album they hadn't even released yet, which was Full Moon to Betty Hearts. And um, I remember the cast of Neighbours were upstairs in their little VIP area and we were giving them some shit and um, because we were young and uh, wild. And I think UMI was supporting them that night, wow. uh, a very young UMI. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I just remember it was such a great energetic show. And did they open with Heaven Sent? I can't remember. But they opened with Communication okay. uh, that night. Yeah, we did a, uh, a, a an episode on that concert series a few weeks ago but yeah they both communication but they played heaven sent and some of the tracks you mentioned and it was really sort of i guess if you break it down they played a year earlier at uh stadium sorry at centennial park yeah and then and then maybe 18 months earlier they played at wembley but they really hadn't done much in australia for about two and a half years so and weirdly to go from these venues to something <laughs> small like the palace was very unique and odd and um but also exciting to be that close to the band you know that's what i'm thinking because 93 is not too far removed from live baby live which is like yeah yeah stadium rock kind of image yeah i just wonder what the the, the palace and then two uni gigs were doing for the band it's it's well, Andrew, Andrew did. Uh, we we interviewed Andrew sort of back uh, last year with Mark, and, and and it was a four hour interview. Actually, not that there's pressure on you, knew it. Um, Andrew had the Saturday afternoon off, and and he really elaborated, and we we sliced it up for about three or four episodes. But he just sort of said, and it's probably gone on with the band that they wanted to record more, and then these shows were little bonus shows, and let's just do something different. Let's go back to playing a few things like this. And it, was, it wasn't it was aimed to be a money tree exercise. It was more of a back to basics. Let's do something that they, we don't uh, have people expect us to do. It was like birth their own bubble in a way, wasn't it? They said, yeah, they, they did to get on that treadmill again. They wanted to feel the sweat and smell their audience. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, bands often talk a big game like that. They often say, you know, we want to go back to our roots and we want to do that. And it seems that NXS really did that. But weren't they going to play the LA Theatre when they came back in 97? Uh, Palais Theatre in St Kilda. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, they were. They were okay. playing the Palais, which was two doors up. But yeah. the old palace, as you know, is locked down yeah, now. That's right. Uh, we're going to play the Palais. That's right, yeah. yeah. So I wonder yeah. whether NXS had kind of figured out something that they wanted to kind of stay in there, that, you know, Wembley and all that sort of stuff was not enjoyable for them anymore. They they had, and through our research and just going back and diving, they, they really just didn't want to do the three-year album, big tour, 
you know, um, loud, big venues. You know, they wanted to just play to their own terms a bit. And it wasn't like commercially they're on the downward spiral. Like Live Baby Live and X and Kick were the albums preceding that. You know, Welcome, yeah, all right, sold 4 million, didn't sell 20 million, but they probably sold 4 million because they didn't do a world tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted to record more. How yeah. do you rate uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are in the pantheon of NXS? Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've I've probably said is my favourite album because I think musically uh, it really sort of challenged them. And Mark Opitz, who's been a good friend of us and been on the podcast who produced it, really said to the band, okay, great guys, you know, you've done Kick Part 2, which is X. Um, I really want to challenge you guys musically. You know, let's take this to where we can go. And you know, every soul really is quite sonically different to what they'd done previously. So I love it and I think it still stands up. The world probably didn't quite get it, but the world didn't get pet sounds from Beach Boys either, you know. Um, that's stiff for them. So, you know, these things sometimes grow over time. story but in that 93 interview I asked him about Kylie Minogue um, I said you know what do you think about the commentary around you and Kylie you know what kind of influence you were on her and the relationship that you had and he said to me quite dryly oh you mean the story about how I helped Kylie find her Right, okay. <laughs> and then I come running back to our music editor and said, well, we've got the Hutchins story. I think we've got kind of the lead on this and this is what he said. No, never write that. No, I think she had a little pussy cat, didn't she? Yeah. But that, was the, that was the kind of human you were dealing with. You know, I, I met him twice and he was just so aware of who he was and, you know, the things that he was saying. And it was, oh, of course, it was cheeky. And yeah. it was, you know, Hutchins being Hutchins. But, you know, to kind of say that to a tabloid journalist, that's just hilarious. Funny that you mentioned his humour because was it only last week we spoke to one of his best mates and he was saying that they had the best time and the best laugh because he did have that sort of, you know, he loved to have a good laugh be ridiculous a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, just the, you know, the it's a word that's thrown around too much, but that larrikin, you know, the larrikin sense of humour, um, that was uh, well and truly on show that day. You know, the stuff about the camera and, and Christensen and Kylie, I just came around uh, away from that interview, you know, feeling, you know, really good. I didn't know what to expect because you see this, yeah. the image of the rock star and they'd conquered Wembley and, you know, all that stuff. And, I mean, the tabloid headlines hadn't really got bad by then, certainly with Paula, but he was really comfortable about who he was and, and, and what he was doing in life. I loved it, man. Was it a scenario that day where you were one of a few journos lined up and you go into a room and then do your section and things and you're having a lot of time, or was it a bit more organic than that? Uh, not organic at all. It was the uh, the 20-minute the window that you speak of, so I think it was half an hour. Very friendly. You know, often we do these uh, interviews and it's full of, you know, uh, Americans with uh, headsets on kind of arranging people and bringing 
pacing the room and yeah. from one room yeah. to another room and then you go into the room with the talent. It's just, you know, it's just a mess. Yeah. But yeah. this was this was super friendly. I think it was still it was one by by Warner, who was the, the music label at the time, and then and maybe the promoter was involved, but it was just a one two step from the lobby straight to Hutchins. And as I said, as soon as he opened the door, he, you know, offered to make tea and then he made tea and then sat down. It was very very yeah. calm and casual and zen. It was great. Previously, you also had a chance to interview Kirk in the journey. What what years was that when you interviewed Kirk? Was it between Welcome and uh, the last tour? Yeah, I reckon. So I'm looking at my notes here, and I did Kirk a couple of times. One was for, I think it was that NXS show where they were looking for a new frontman. Okay, the rock star. Yeah, the rock star. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. right, that was two thousand. Yeah, and uh, just in this interview, um, he was talking about image and how important image is. So it was at the time it was well, they were obviously on a reality show, but around the time of the rise of the reality show. So this interview is obviously after two thousand when the voice and all those sorts of things came through. So I was asking Kirk about you know, just the, the new way of becoming a pop star that you really don't have to do the garages and the pubs anymore. You can fast track yourself, you know, into one of these reality shows and become an instant star. And he said, you know, it, that's just the way it is. It's a great way of discovering talent, of introducing someone to a massive audience. It's a fast track to the industry, definitely, but the hard work starts after you're discovered. So, yeah, yeah. You still yeah. That thing. And I also asked him about whether, you know, image and a look is important because, you know, you had these shows like uh, The Voice, which were all about, we don't, you know, we don't worry about looks, it's all about The Voice and that's what makes the <laughs> uh, And yes. he said, you know, image has always been a big part of the industry, you know. As he grew up as a kid, bands always had an image and they set the fashions and it's extremely important. And I suppose when you think about their front man, you know, being the ultimate, you know, kind of front man in Michael Hutchins, he knows what he's talking about. fan of NXS's music before even um, the Welcome album and your interview? Yeah, I got into, so I uh, am from New Zealand, grew up in New Zealand, um, came over in the 90s and I really didn't uh, know NXS until Original Sin. That was a big hit in New Zealand um, and then obviously the Kick album um, and that sort of thing. I, I did enjoy the music. I wasn't a massive fan. I didn't know the early catalogue, kind of got onto the early catalogue when I moved here. But yeah, I would say I knew their music and I was a fan of their music. Wasn't a massive fan of NXS, but certainly, you know, enjoyed and appreciated what they did. The, the, the hits over in New Zealand were massive. Like, I can't even remember what came after Original Sin, but, you know, the new situation I remember over there. Yeah, just everything. What you, yeah, what you need was massive. Fast track from there right to the last interview. How did that happen? How did you get that? 
didn't know it was the last interview. That's the saddest thing about it. They were touring with Frontier. So I remember it was a Michael Gadinsky tour. Um, I think they had to move a few tickets uh, here in Melbourne. That's often why an interview comes through. A promoter needs to sell tickets. So uh, it was Michael Hutchins can get on a phone call from LA at this time. Uh, are you available? Um, yeah, hell yes. Yes, um, I'll do I'll do it. Uh, talk about life. By then, there'd been a lot of dramas with uh, his partner, Paula Yates, and they'd really become fixations in the tabloids. So I knew there were certain talking points that were going to make the, you know, the, the chat interesting, to say the least. He did the phone call from LA uh, just as he was about to board a flight to um, Australia, to Sydney. So they were the last times he did any interviews. Obviously, they were going to do some on-ground stuff when he got to Sydney. You know, TV would have done things then. So I got a phone interview and my friend Michael Infus at The Age also got an interview. So they were the last two interviews that Michael did. And they were purely just to promote the, the shows and, you know, talk about, you know, new music that, that they were planning. And did he sound tired? He said, well, it was four years after, you know, our fun time at the Como. He, he definitely sounded a little uh, worn down by all the attention about all the stuff, you know, uh, with, with Paula, uh, all the tabloid attention, all the paparazzi following him. But he was really lucid and really clear about, you know, what he, what he thought about that and how he was handling that. I've got the clippings here, what he said. This is just beautiful, man. The way that he saw life and was, um, you know, willing to kind of try and fight through. So this is what he said. He started talking about his demons and and the things that were starting to trouble him and, you know, getting getting hassled and pressured and, and paparazzi following him everywhere. Things, you know, weren't resembling the truth in, in the newspapers. So this is what he said. He said, I've, I've dealt with many demons in my life, but nothing compares to what I've had to face over the past few years. It would be so easy for me to say that I hate what I've become, but then what I've become, certainly in the public eye, I've had no control over. I don't like that. It concerns me a great deal that every move I make is looked at, photographed, and made into gossip and some fucking soundbite that doesn't even resemble the truth. I mean, how you can just hear the frustration, but just how weird is that messaging? It's just absolutely crystal clear. He is, he's making his point and he's making it heard, man. Um, And I said, you know, well, how is it though? How is it? Because there's another party involved in this. Paul is involved in this. It's just this unholy mess that seems to be following, you know, you guys around. And he says, I'd say it's much worse for Paula. But I'm a realist. I just do my best to confront these things and I hope I come out of it stronger and a wiser and a better person. The truth has hardly ever survived in our case. I get to see some of what's written and hear what's said, but I try not to because some of it, no, most of it is hurtful and it does me no good to think that it's out there. I hate the fact that people's perception of me is just fodder Every movie you make is just used to sell newspapers. I don't want to be exposed like that all the time. I don't want to be known as someone that's just a shallow soundboy. I've worked too hard and too long for that. I've always just carried on my life the way I see it, and if that ruffles feathers and if it becomes tabloid fodder, then so be it. 
I'm not going to lock myself away or change my lifestyle to suit someone else's set of rules. I think that's immoral. People should just remember, I'm a musician, I'm a singer, and that's it. I'm not complaining about the life I've got. I'm a dad, I sing, I travel, I get into most of the clubs for free. <laughs> I have freedom, and freedom gives you a certain amount of power. But I can lose all of this whenever I want to. Which is eerie, eerie isn't it? That's you know? really eerie, yeah. but he's, he's so frustrated with where his, his life was going. that he had had film offers um, and his new music. Was there any optimism in his, in his voice when he spoke to you about those things? I was going to get to that. Absolutely, he was optimistic. He had filmed um, a uh, bit part in a movie um, in Los Angeles just before he came down. He said in our interview that he was optimistic that he was soon going to be able to tell the truth his own way you know, to, to, to kind of set the record straight on everything. But this is what he said, uh, that I can create, that I can write, that I can express, that is the light at the end of the tunnel in my life. That is how I will win the battle. So he was still leaning on his art, on his music and these opportunities that were coming his way in film. He, he, he saw art, his uh, work as a, as a creator, um, as the way out of this mess. It's beautiful. All right, it's interesting the juxtaposition of his sort of life. And we had Greg from Hunters and Collectors on last week, who was his close friend, Greg Pirano, and said he'd never seen him happy with Helena and just the life and together and the European lifestyle. And within four years, I guess, you know, that had finished. The level of honesty in the interview, he, he was always a bit opaque and mysterious, but his latter interviews, he, he really spoke from the heart and it probably indicated where he was at, didn't it, in a way, when you look in hindsight. I mean, yeah, it must have hit you hard four or five days later when you heard the news. must have hit, hit you so hard. That's the thing. He put it all out there, but and this was all for a tour that was about to happen. This was for music that was about to be made. So he clearly had a plan, you know, to push through this mess and move forward. It's like he's explaining, you know, being in the middle of this whirlwind, in the middle of this mess, and he'd figured out where he was in that, where Paul was in that, and he clearly had, you know, intentions to get out of that and tell the truth and tell the truth, I mean, and to just keep, you know, not explaining himself but just – Keep telling the truth through his music and through performance. That's what I got out of it. Yeah, no time to tell 
and maybe you were sort of, I guess, sort of a, a vessel to which, you know, everything else, particularly in England, as we know, how they treat wild colonial boys over there, ex-fifth generation convicts, you know, taking on Sir Bob Geldof. Um, I mean, he was on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. Um, but ha- but having, I guess, a chance to to speak his own truth to an Australian journalist and we have those words, you know, we don't have him, but we have those words, yeah. which are pretty special, you know, Newey. I think it's a really special interview, you know, in your life to have and you can look back in hindsight and it probably must resonate with you, you know. I think so too. You know, it's one of the most uh... – the most uh, kind of honest and candid interviews I, I've ever done. And, you know, you got to remember the context of this. All he was trying to do was sell a few tickets to a show in Melbourne. He didn't really have mm. to do the big condonest, you know, reveal, especially to a tabloid, you know, group in Australia. I'm not talking down our news group, but, you know, often this kind of honesty you find in, in other another outlet. It ain't a cookie-cutter interview, is it? There's not Michael going into motions because he could have easily done that, you know. Yeah. Anybody under that amount of pressure, anybody who's being, you know, hunted and tracked in that way would certainly go, oh, well, you know, that's what it is and, you know, I'd rather focus on, you know, whatever. But he was certainly honest with that one. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of the – it's one of my uh, journalism highlights talking to him and, and, you know, doing that interview and just having him speak so honestly and candidly. Our podcast uh, actually, as you're on it, is a sort of an anthology. We've gone from 77 to 97 and we're in this sort of bit of a tough position where our next couple of episodes are literally about, you know, him passing the funeral and everything there. And, you know, we've all got our own little stories to tell. Um, I guess like the old JFK comparison, where were you on the day when you heard the news? It was a Saturday, obviously, here in Melbourne and I assume you were in Melbourne at the time. I mean, how did you find out about the news and, and uh, the inevitable news of his passing yeah i was at home it was saturday you're right michael gudinski called me uh the promoter so michael was in sydney uh to meet with michael uh hutchins um and michael called me to relay the sad news he said i you know just want you to know this has happened uh, i'm in sydney it was just basically a you know a, a courtesy call it was just a tragic call really I realised what I had in terms of an interview. I didn't write anything on the Saturday. Obviously, the coverage was Saturday for Sunday, shock death, you know, Michael Hutchins, that sort of thing. And then my story or my interview with Michael ran on the Monday, so the Sunday for Monday. So your original story hadn't been released yet? It hadn't been released. Um, and I didn't wow. – I just thought it wasn't a good no. write no. immediately. It was definitely too soon. But given uh, his candor about demons and all the things that he was fighting and all the the wrongs that he was trying to make right, and they weren't even his wrongs, it was just the lives that you know that it started to, to surround he and Paula. I kind of realised that was the story um, on Monday that Michael uh, was talking about his demons. Um, he was, you know, really ready to, to, to tackle everything, uh, and he was coming home to, to do it. So strange How my life's changed I know nothing About the people that I touch Heard a story Sounded easy Don't care Let me lie into 
that I had on the story that ran on the Monday was Michael Hutchins had battled many demons, but for the first time he felt close to winning the war. Damn. I've heard stories, I don't know if it's true, that him and well, Paula, he was getting Paula over here um, so that Tiger would be closer and that Paula had got a job working in TV and she was going to have her own show. Did he mention any of that to you? No, nothing about uh, any career plans. I asked if they wanted to get married. Oh, yeah? yeah? And what was the answer? Right. Okay, so Michael Hutchins was in love, but he said he had not discussed marriage with Paula Yates. Quote, every year some columnist tells us where we're going to get married and where. Last year was Queensland. The year before it was in Italy. The marriage is a very personal thing and to, not, to deny it, well, you don't want to deny it because it sounds like you don't want to do it. And I said, well, do you want to do it? And he said, to be honest, yes. I think there's part of me that truly wants that. But in reality, we haven't even discussed it. So he was thinking that way, definitely. You know, when you speak new and you look at this article and everyone else there, his brain would have been so busy with so many agendas and people wanting a piece of him. You've got his partner. I mean, Paula, you know, for the best of intentions, was a high-maintenance lady, but, you know, she would have had a piece of him. You know, manager would have had a piece of him. You know, his family, the band, his friends, you know, his own internal struggles. I mean, I just think, you know, as Bono said, he probably got stuck in a moment he couldn't get out of, you know, and he had this half battle of optimism, but also these sort of demons at the same time and one surpassed the other. It's, it's just my feelings on it. Well, you can hear it in everything he says. There's this darkness yeah. and then there's this light and then there's this darkness. Yes, <laughs> yes. It, it's a real struggle and it's so sad because I really think he was trying to, you know, get to the light, man, just from the quotes. And as I, as I keep saying, you know, he kind of knew who he who he is and, and who he was and, and what he needed to, to do to overcome. There was no control, was there? There was no control of the media of what was being um, said in the, in the press back in the UK and that was just getting filtered again over internationally. But just imagine how much worse it would have been with social media. There was no social media. Oh. This was yeah. print. This was print. But you know, the same year we lost um, Princess Diana and we lost Versace. Right. And that was all down to what was being said to them in the media as well. Yeah. Bloody media. Suit, etc. Your time's precious. So, really appreciate you getting on today. I thought just to sort of tie things up a little bit, you must, um, I think for us, and I know myself as a bit of a sycophant of the band and everything there, um, I was particularly grateful for Richard's 
uh, Lowenstein's documentary for two reasons. One, that's where I met my co-host B uh, the very first time and we hatched this idea to a podcast. And secondly, the uh, the film that Richard put together sort of mitigated all of those silly myths and some of those silly rumours and gave Michael a, a, quite a good portrait of who he was as a person. I don't think anything really out there other than that doco really hits the core like that that doco does. Um, how did you feel about the doco? And I'm sure you went to it and saw it. I love the documentary. I thought the the um, the personal stuff that he had with Kylie Minogue, that footage, that just really, that blew me away. To get that kind trade. of stuff. Yeah, just nuts. Did it have a I can't remember. Okay. I think she was one of the speaking, uh, the one of the talking heads. Yeah. 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 But just the Kylie stuff on the boat and on the train and, you know, when the Americans say, you know, this lovely couple and oh, yeah. this, this, that, that stuff. Quite delightful, wasn't it, to see that side of him, the playful play. And the thing is, the real cool thing is that a lot of that Kylie and Michael stuff kind of just happened under everyone's noses here. Like hardly any of that stuff became public and just kind of to, to see it revealed um, like, you know, obviously they went to a movie premiere together and all that kind of thing, but you really didn't know how deep that love affair ran. And I think, uh, you know, Richard's doco really, really showed that. You hardly ever see Kylie in those unguarded moments, and that's what I really loved about her. And she was real confessional in it too. I really think that after Michael, she just became a lot more open to things. I remember interviewing Kylie up to Impossible Princess, and it was really quite bland. And then after Michael, I just think she became open to a whole lot more of that. She became a lot more revealing. Uh, she became a lot more honest. You know, she talked a lot about him. Um, and I just think, I just think, it was a different Kylie after after him for sure. Hey Louie, do you know that they actually recorded a song together? They did. Then I've got. This is a good rap because I've got some notebooks because I did ask to <laughs> How prepared knew we today, uh, B? Yeah, we've been talking, hey, really. <laughs> this for a tabloid intro. Australian pop princess Kylie Minogue has revealed details of a recording studio collaboration with former lover Michael Hutchins. However, she has <laughs> vowed the tapes, long rumoured to be a Hutchins-Minogue duet, duet, will never be released. The session shall happened nine years ago when Hutchins toured Australia for the Welcome to Wherever You Are concerts. Oh, he actually told me about those sessions. So this is what he said. We have recorded some things, Hutchins said, but they will be out in a dark cave somewhere never to see the light of day. <laughs> in an interview with Harold Sun, Minogue recalled the secret session, quote, I remember there was a night in the studio and there was a bunch of us that went in, but I can't even remember what we did. It was probably just a group of us waffling stuff off. Other than that, it would have been Michael rambling into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love More it. Well, Kylie, if you're listening and you want to, we are the people that you want to send it to. Exactly. And with, and with auto-tune now, you could like, turn that into a hit song. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, it'd a, a, a be like even, even Prince's The Black Album made it out eventually, nearly. Oh, these, these will see the light of day.
Uh, at the end of every show, we generally let our guests uh, have a song that is dedicated to them for being a guest. Is uh, uh, What song for you typifies an NXS track that you love and a banger for you or a quieter moment? Because uh, we'll go out with that later in the show. Disappear. Oh, there we go. Off it Fantastic. Tell us about your love of Disappear. How does that resonate with you? It's such a soulful track and his vocal on it. It's yeah. so beautiful, man. Yeah. It's a real falsetto. He's never done that much before, you know? No, it's just a soulful track. The bass line is just lush. Um, I just love that song. I love that song. I think it was- We've never gone out with it before. We love it. We so. love to do that. No. Yeah. No. Why? We've never gone out with it. We will. We'll go out with it. It's not one that people usually pick, so it's nice. Everybody does at the beginning. Do what? Do Very cool. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I will keep uh, being jealous of your life and living my life vicariously through your news reports. I'm jealous too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to post the, uh, something from the toilet cubicle now, just so you... All oh, right, okay. <laughs> just so you know it's... Right. We did on our last week's episode, Michael talked about a fan experience when he was uh, on with Rosie O'Donnell back in the oh. last tour, and he said that uh, a fan... You're obsessed with this, aren't you? Well, a, a fan had a strange request. She said that took him backstage to a toilet also, Newey, but she was doing some, uh, let's just say, a wee in the, the uh, toilet, and she said to him, do you know what that sounds like? And he said, no, and she was weeing the riff to need you tonight. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, And she was upset so that we, he didn't realise. Yeah, yeah. This is Michael's words to Rosie back in the day. But, um, look, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, as I said, we look forward to uh, getting Hit Magazine and everything else with Heralds on the next uh, incarnation tomorrow or the next day when it's out. Look, again, thanks for being really open and prepared today. Uh, you know, we, uh, we'll, we'll probably upload this uh, article to our newsletter maybe after next week. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather our um listeners hear your words talking about before the uh as the interview's happening B than yeah. before the interview. But it, it speaks so truthfully as I I read this, you know, a few years back and I read it today and it, it, it is, as you said, quite revealing both in its in its sort of ominous tones, but also in its optimistic tones. You know, he it really does give a an idea, and I think that Monday after he passed, people want some answers, don't they? They want to know where somebody was at at the time, you know. I think, uh, unfortunately, we lost, I think, Avicii a couple of years ago, and people didn't quite understand his struggles, you know. The Swedish DJ, I think, it his, it took his life. And I, I can only say that sometimes, you know, words and articles like this do have a way of healing to a point, or at least understanding. Um, and I think this is a, just a fantastic article. So, thank you, Sam. Thank you for coming on. And I do pray that you find the tapes as well. Oh, <laughs> because I reckon there's more. Believe me, I will find, yeah, there will be more because we often chop it down to the, you know, the hardcore stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is The Big Rat. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for getting Nui onto the show. So nice. Um, the part that I really felt was him when he was reading out the conversation that he'd had with Michael, I could see that it was actually struggling a little bit to tell us those words as yeah. well. He was like reliving that and he yeah. felt Michael's struggle. Yeah. Well, it was very, you know, the words were very confessional, if that was the word I was trying to come up with, weren't they? Yeah. You know, 
I mean, for those, as Newey said, he, you know, he was really going on there to try to drum up some ticket sales for some reigning, remaining gigs that were honestly weren't sold out. And unlike a lot of interviewees, you really opened up on some things that were quite different and uh, went down some pathways that were quite dark. And, you know, probably in a way, when you calibrate with what happened four or five days later, it had some 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 context to it, which is, you know, very, very sad when you look back in hindsight, you know. Haunting though, when he said, he said um, in that he had all this freedom and yet he said whenever he wants, he can stop it whenever he wants. So it sounds like it's a thought process that has gone through his mind, you know, yeah. at some point. And look, we all face struggles and things like that. And we do say to anybody out there, as per the blurb in this uh, podcast, if you know, you do need some help and you do need to uh, lean on family or friends or professional services out there, uh, don't be afraid to do so because it's no uh, sign of weakness. No, no. If, if people are struggling and if this episode does sort of conjure up some of those emotions, please seek help and know that uh, there are people that love you and want you and don't want to see you do anything stupid. And then on a fun note, we heard about yes. what Michael did with Kylie's uh, lady bits. So that was quite funny as well. <laughs> and cutting off Michael's head by Helena. So, yeah, quite interview. It was uh, quite up and yes. down there. It was brilliant. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Now, but we had a raffle out at the yes. moment and we've had a little bit of a surge, an upsurge of tickets, which is great. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess very simply, there's a key ticket item in there, which is the uh, single, Just Keep Walking, I believe. Is that right, B? Yes, you are right. Signed yes. by two band members. It's Kirk and Tim. And what's the B side? Uh, the B side is Stop. Uh, what is it? Scratching. Ah, Scratching. Yeah. <laughs> Be, yes, B's it's gesturing scr- is great. No, no, you're making me think. Yeah, it is scratched. It's, Come on. But it's, but it's scratching it. the name, not scratched in actuality. So B was gesturing on the, uh, the screen sort of with her fingernails down the screen there. So great. Makes great podcasting uh, stuff for people to hear. But, yeah, so that, that's been signed by Kirk and Tim, I believe, and then there's some accompanying yes. little, little uh, gadgets around it. We've got a great little uh, X Factor tour, Access All Areas Pass, I believe, on that tour. Which is which yes. is awesome. Uh, we've got a couple of stickers uh, there. We've got a guitar pick, um, but a real that single, that vinyl single with two original band members on there. Uh, sign original pressing is uh, worth uh, the uh, raffle prize win alone. So, uh, and also just look a little bit of head up news. B, I've got those copies of the Ollie Olsen uh, Rooms of the Memory uh, sign ups. We will be announcing in a couple of weeks' time where they sit. But um, can't wait to raffle those off. Uh, and also proceeds all going to Ollie on that one as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well done. Yeah, we've got a tribute song going out to Newey, and uh, I think for the first time, uh, this particular song has uh, been requested by a guest, and it's probably the first time we've played it as our outro song today. And uh, I was thinking back about this song. It was probably my favourite song of NXS's for, I reckon, the next 10 years from the time I heard it, from 1990 to 2000. And look, obviously songs come in and out of vogue in your, in your, your fandom, uh, but it is a great track, and uh, it's obviously a great track that uh, resonated with uh, with uh, Newey. So we're going to go out with a wonderful uh, second single off uh, the X Factor album, co-written by John, uh, hit number eight in the American charts, and that's the song Disappear. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Well, good on. Tonight, you must have the pit bones. 
this is the Dutchie, and you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. I'd like to dedicate this episode to my Uncle John and Terry. Good night. God bless.